Do we have any Elvis fans in the house? Anybody? Raise your hand. All right. You're dating yourself a little bit with that, but that's okay. Uh, Elvis, you know, a man who uh, was full of mystery, to say the least. I can remember when he passed away. I was still a, a, a child. But I can remember the euphoria and the sadness of people weeping. And, uh, that I think, why, who is this? Is, is he truly the king, you know, that, that has passed away here? But at the age of 42, Elvis Presley passes away and uh, dies of drug addiction and obesity. And died in, in, in such an unglamorous way to be such a phenomenal king, if you will. Such a pauper's kind of way to die at the end of his life. Priscilla, his own wife, said this about, about Elvis. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what, he was, what was his purpose in life. He thought he was here for a reason. Maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage, and he wouldn't. So he, and he wouldn't have to think about it. You know, we don't know. As I watch people come in today, I don't know what you're going through. You don't even know what I'm going through. But I know many of you are going through. Something. Something maybe that you mask by getting up and going on stage and performing. Performing in your life, giving the air that everything is okay. Being the king of rock in your own world, in your own music, in your own concert. But maybe it is innate within all of us to hide that, to run from that, And to not dive into it and to get to the root issue of why am I here? What is this about? We don't die as some pauper, obese and addicted to drugs or addicted to life or addicted to money or addicted to whatever at the age of 42, like an Elvis. If there's anything that I think I want us to learn in this five-month series of message is that we are on a journey. This journey has a destination and we are not there yet. And if you think you've arrived and you are far selling yourself short in God's ultimate design for your life, there is so much more on this journey. And I think that we can really kind of get our handle on this journey called life if we can under stand five key components to this journey. And I'm not going to go back and relive the the previous three that we've already talked about. But as we think about the journey that we're on, we cannot forget that God has His fingerprints all over our lives. And a verse that I shared a few weeks ago, I want to come back just to refresh your mind and then we'll go right past it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Right after the great declaration of His call to save us by His grace through faith, He tells us why. He does what He does in His redemptive work. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance. God is up to something in our lives. No matter what funk, no matter what issues you may be wrestling with right now in your life, He is using those those tense times, those desert times, those glorious times. He's using that to shape us into the workmanship that He wants to make of us. Job chapter 10, verse 8 is a great verse. I want you to read it with me. Read it with me. Your hands shaped me and made me. Your hands shaped me and made me. I like the word shape there and uh, kind of go off on an acrostic. Just take that word shape. How is God shaping you? If you were to develop this into acrostic, you, you might look at God has given us spiritual gifts. He has given us heart passions of our life, desires, things that we really have an interest in. Spiritual gifts are those elements that God has given us that are very unique. That, that They're not unique in the sense that you only have that and nobody else has it, but it, it's unique to you that when God made you spiritually, He gifted you somehow. Especially as you become a follower of Christ, He is gifting you with a gift. He has gi- already given you passions in your life. He's given you abilities. Some of y'all have abilities that blow somebody else right next to you's abilities away. But at the same time, the other person sitting right next to you blows your abilities away. There are so many gifts and there are so many abilities in this room today that if we can harness them for the kingdom of God, oh my lands, what could happen? When we were starting Grace Point Church, just real quickly, we were looking at Boston and Seattle and Northwest Arkansas. There's quite a diversity in all three of those examples. Northwest Arkansas, one element, one key element that brought us here was the amazing amount of ability, and I believe untapped ability, right here in Northwest Arkansas for the kingdom of God. Personality. Boy, don't we have different personalities? You have ten children, you'll have ten different personalities. We've got so many different personalities and you blend those personalities with spiritual gifts, with heart, with abilities. And just what a beautiful shaping that God is doing of us. Experiences. Oh, you can't discount life experiences. Some of you all have gone through life experiences. I was speaking with a a lady at, at my son's baseball practice yesterday and she was telling me some of her life experiences. And she says, you know what? Some of my friends have told me I need to write a book because of my experiences. I says, you know, you could write a movie with that, without those life experiences. Our life experiences are part of what God uses to shape us. How is He shaping you? How has He shaped you? What is He wanting to do with this shaping? Is it to make you just some beautiful wallflower child? Or is it actually to make you a useful tool, a part of His kingdom? A part of His plan? Something higher, something nobler than standing on a stage like the King and just singing songs to bring glory to yourself? I believe God has a deeper, higher calling for all of us in our life. The journey that we're on, I think, is serving God by serving others. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse, uh, verse 7. We're going to go there. And I think it's really one of those passages that I think uh, should kind of direct our lives, um, as all of Scripture should. But this is one of those that's kind of tucked back there, and you might quickly skip past it and miss it. 
William Barclay calls this the easiest book in the Bible. Other scholars call it the hardest book in the Bible. Peter is, uh, uh, you know, I have a couple examples of his writing, and this is one of them. And, and so we just did dive into verse 7, and it says this, And the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another. Earnestly, since love, uh, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, and this is just one example, whoever has the gift of speaking, as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves, here's another example, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that, and you could list off any other number of gifts that he may give, serving, speaking, or whatever, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Passage of Scripture that calls us to serve. The journey that we're on is to serve God by serving others. That is a journey that we're on, that we need to understand the value. It's not to find the best place that will serve my needs, meet my children's needs, meet my desires like this band, or I don't like this band, or I like this teaching, or I don't like this teaching, or I like these seats, or I don't like these seats. Whatever it may be, that may be our our times or our convenience of... No. It's finding a place that will help develop me as a servant of God. As I serve Him, I'm serving others. This is ministry in a word, is what it comes down to. The process that we are called to be about is about ministry. How much of an effective minister are you for God? Jesus said this. He said, your attitude must be like my own. Now what a statement. Your attitude, my attitude, must be just like Jesus's. Now, what is that attitude? For I did not come to be served, but to serve. Is that your attitude? Is that my attitude? When I am in one of those funks that I think we all get into, the last thing we want to do is to serve. We are looking to be served. When we're burned out, put out, any other out you can think of, When we are at that point, we don't want to pour into anybody. And I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, about you can't come empty. But the reality is is that we all are going through life today. And if we all just sit back and are the recipients and not the givers and not the servers, then, then we're missing it. And then nobody will receive. How am I being a minister for Christ I think if we're going to serve like Jesus, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And if I'm supposed to have that attitude as you and I just read, if that's supposed to be me, then how am I, how can I serve like Jesus? A couple of things, jot them down. Number one, serving like Jesus means being available. Being available. It's hard in our lives and our schedules and our calendars and our programs and our in our sports events, in our kids' events, in our school events, in our, in our own aspirations. And it's just hard to be available. I mean, in this, in this world in which we live, to, to carve out time. I mean, when you, go, when you go to Peter and you read his writing here in First Peter chapter 
chapter 3, I don't know where he's coming from, but all of a sudden he's talking about the end of time. He says this, is the end of all things is at hand. What does that mean? What's he talking about there? The end of all things is at hand. He's now talking end time stuff. And so I think the question needs to be, what happens when you start talking end times? One of the things we've got to do is we've got to get our life in order. That is one of the elements of being ready for the end times. You want to get ready for Jesus? You want to, you want to be ready? Get your life in order. Make sure you're on His path. Make sure you're on His course. Make sure you're on His journey. I think with a lot of people when it comes to talking about the end times, it's all about fascination. It shouldn't be. It should be about transformation. The motivation is when's He coming and how's He going to come and is He going to come like this and what, what hour and time. And uh, you know, We're not even going to go into all those predictions. What really should be happening in our life because of the end of time, we ought to be making sure our life is in order. I used to think that if when Jesus came back, that the best place I could be, the only place I should be is be at the church. I've got to be at the church. Because if, if I'm not there when He comes, this is His child growing up, then I'll miss Him. He, like, he's like a bus driver who's going to drive out and pick up people only at the church. That's not how it works. The best place I could be as I got into studying the Scriptures is not actually necessarily at the church, but it's actually in service. It's my heart being ready and ripe, and, but it's also stepping it up and learning how to serve one another. What's his response when you, when you think about this passage of Scripture? He says, the end of, of all things is at hand, so what my, should my response be? He, so he, he tells us, he said, you need to, in verse 8, above all, keep on loving one another. See, 74 times in Scripture he tells us to love one another, or he tells us one another's. Seventy-four times. There's different one another's that he tells us. So immediately what he's telling us to do is to get yourself right, but beyond that, serve other people. If you want to be ready for Christ when he comes back, make sure your life is right and get in and start serving. Get in. Make yourself available for him. So he says, you know, he tells us to love one another. And then in verse 9 he tells us to show hospitality to one another. And then verse Ten, he tells us to serve one another. Again, a one another, one another, one another. There's a clear theme here that, that is thinking beyond ourselves. Be available to serve one another is your greatest preparation for Christ's return. Be ready and be available to serve one another. When you think of the life of Christ and His example and how He walked through the streets, and he, you know, he had to get up early in the morning to find privacy. You talk about a successful story. You look at the life of Christ. I mean, he would try to get away with his disciples on a retreat, and he'd get in the boat on this side because this side of the lake was crowding him. He'd go to the other side, and when he got to the other side, there were a bunch of people that were waiting on him. I mean, he couldn't get away from people. I mean, he had to get up early in the morning and get away, away into solitude. If he ever wanted to clear his mind and have time alone with he and God, you're talking about demands on life. He had demands on life. Most people say, I can't serve. I can't be a ministry to God. I can't because I don't have availability in my life. I think it says more about our priorities because when you talk about and you look about the life of Jesus, Jesus would be walking through a crowded street. Somebody would reach out and grab his garment. and He'd keep on walking, but he knew that ministry was about right happening right there beside him. And he would turn to his disciples, who touched me? Remember the story? How can we know Jesus who touched you? Jesus stopped in the crowds and ministered to people. 
walking through the streets of Jericho, crowds and throngs of people again all around, two blind men crying out to Jesus, Jesus, would you heal us? This is what happened in Matthew 20, verse 30 and 32. He says, two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped. Stopped. And He called them. What do you want me to do? He asked. How many of us, how much of us, how, how, how many of us, I should say, are willing to stop our lives in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the demands, in the midst of life, in the midst of the other things we want to do, and the, and, and, and the hobbies that call us, whether it's golf or the lake, or it's vacations that call us, or it's this or that that calls us, and all the callings in the back of the... How many of us are willing to stop our life to be available? Proverbs 3, verse 28 says, Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. How much are we willing to clear our calendars to be on and in ministry with God? John Wesley said it like this. It was his motto. He said, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, or as you ever can. Just be available wherever you go. What keeps us from this? Three barriers real quickly. One, self-centeredness, I think, is a barrier that keeps us from being available. Self-centeredness. Forget yourself. It says in, in, in Philippians, speaking of the life of Christ again, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I'm afraid we live our life like we live in hotels. You go to the hotel and you expect to be served. You hang the little sign out on the front of the, of the door that says, Do not disturb. That means unless I have rattled your chain, don't bother me. Unless I've called for room service, leave me alone. I didn't ask for my bed to be turned. No, I, I, leave me alone. I will call you when I want you. I'm afraid a lot of us live lives like that. We do it in our homes. We used to have front porches. We used to sit out in the front yards and talk to our neighbors. Now we pull into our garage, shut the garage door behind us, and go on our back patio with our, with our privacy fences and stay back there. And we only invite back those that we really like. We live in this kind of unavailable, self-centered, I'm-going-to-control-my-world life. What about those around? What if we live like a concierge? I love the concierges. Those guys, those guys who are right there ready to serve you, ready to find that best restaurant that you didn't know was out there, ready to help you to be there for you. But I'm afraid we live as hotel guests in a world that we're supposed to be concierges. We go to church that way. We go to business that way. We, we shop that way. It's a dangerous way to live. The second thing, it's a barrier that keeps us from being available for God to use is perfectionism. It's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I can't do this. And so we have all these reasons why that we can't do it. Show your love to Him by caring for other Christians. That's a call for us to go and to do that. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. I can remember... I would, well, I can just tell you right now, I'll start with this. 
statement. I would not be where I am today. I would not be standing here today. You would not be sitting there today. I don't know that Grace Point Church would be here today if I waited for perfection to reach Mike McDaniel. It was in the summer of 1985 when two miles from here, in a little double-wide trailer church, I preached my very first message. I can remember it was a hot summer day, this little double-wide trailer. It was always a startup church. And I was there, and I preached, and I remember sweating through my jacket. I had a jacket and tie on. I mean, it was literally I sweat through my T-shirt, my shirt, and my jacket. And I was so nervous. I had what I thought was a 20-minute message and was ready to deliver it, and it took me 10 minutes. So I thought I better go back and do it again to make sure that they got it, and I, and I, and I finished because I must have messed something up here. So I, I, I delivered the same message again. And, and at the end of that message, I'm like, oh, my land, i got to pray and shut the Bible and go home and, and offer this invitation to this little Baptist church. And one person got saved and seven rededicated their life. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you might be able to hit a straight lick with a crooked stick after all. <laughs> you know, if I'm waiting for my life to be perfect and me to have all the biblical answers before I'm willing to get in and serve, I will never be ready to serve. Perfectionism will set us back. Number three, the third barrier is materialism. Many times we don't have time to serve and to do ministry in people's lives because we are simply moving ahead to the next buck. I don't have time. I don't have time in my life because I continue to make and I need to make. I need to generate wealth. And just be careful. Be careful of that. Only you can answer this, the motive of of your heart. But just be careful that you don't go down that path. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, He said, No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So beware of the reasons you give for why you're not available. The second thing that I think as he calls us here to one another, to one another, to one another, to serve one another. I think the second thing is that serving like Jesus is being useful. It's actually being, hey God, here I am and I am ready to be used by you. Verse 10, it says, for as as you received a gift, as you've received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace. That word varied means manifold, multicolored. You know when you go to the Lowe's or the, the, the paint store or, or whatever, and you get that big swap or whatever it's called, paint samples. And it's funny, Lori will bring it home, and, and there will be four colors lined up there. I cannot tell the difference between one, two, three, and four. Now, maybe you fan it out and I can start telling a difference between those behind them or those in front. But, man, I'm like looking at that. And I really don't think I'm that colorblind or close to it or anything like that. I'm looking at how, but, you know, when you fan out the body of Christ, you think about all the color swaps and, and how when you throw one on the wall and, man, it pops. You know what? We're like all those different multifaceted. You take our shape our spiritual gifts, when you take our heart, when you, when you take our abilities, when you take all of those and you mix them together and you, you call it Grace Point Church, what a multifaceted, gift-oriented place we have here. 
people here. But the question is, are we willing to be useful? Are we useful for God? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 of the Living Bible says, It is He who saved us and chose us for His work. Well, maybe what Elvis was feeling when he was wondering about his calling in life was he truly was called to be a minister for Christ. I don't know. Maybe he was just called to serve humanity instead of serving himself. I, I don't know. But God saves us that we might serve him. A couple of barriers. One barrier that keeps us from being useful for God is comparing and criticizing. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to criticize someone else's servant? Someone else's servant. The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful. Let's be careful not to criticize. Number two is a barrier is wrong motives. When you do good deeds, don't try to show off if you do. You won't get the reward from your Father in heaven. I want to throw a curve to our media guys upstairs because as I was sitting over here preparing my heart in worship as you're worshiping, I thought of a third barrier. I think a third barrier that keeps me and keeps you from being useful is coming empty. If you live empty, and those of you who know what I mean by being controlled and consumed by God's Spirit, you know what I mean when you're empty. When you come empty, you're not very useful. One of my favorite quotes is by former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, R.G. Lee. He says, speaking to pastors, he says, you can't preach cream on Sunday and live on skim milk during the week. If I am not coming full, I will not be able to pour into you. If you enter into this world and enter in and interact with people, if you teach in the we world department and you do not come full, you cannot transfer what you don't have. Come full. Toby went to Ethiopia on a mission trip. There's a World Vision distribution camp that he was going on, going from town to town or village to village, playing, being with the kids, just pouring their life into children and then going on to another town and another village and pouring into the village. An 11-year-old boy comes up to Toby as he was getting ready to get on this off-road transportation to go on to another village. And he kind of is tugging on his T-shirt just a little bit. And as Toby's standing there... He's loving on the kid, trying to speak in some broken language um, what the kid's wanting. And he basically speaks out, can can I have your T-shirt? Pretty simple request for a child who's sitting there with his clothes barely draped across his body because there's so many holes in his T-shirt. He's just reaching up, basically asking, can I have your T-shirt? And uh, Toby's thinking, you know, my clothes are back at camp. We're going to be out in this hot African sun for all day long. I, I really like this T-shirt. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't give you my T-shirt. And he gets on the bus, but there's a check in his spirit all along. 
There's something not right. And so he goes on, he gets on the bus, and all day long he's thinking about this little 11-year-old child who all he He didn't want his, his iPod. He didn't want his cell phone. He didn't want his bank account. He didn't want his shoes. He just wanted his T-shirt. And so he goes back to his camp, and he, when he got alone by himself, and he cried like a baby thinking all the kid wanted was a T-shirt and I was protecting my skin or doing my own thing and liking my T-shirt. I couldn't give it up. So Toby ends up back in Michigan where he lives and all the plane ride back, everything, he just couldn't get the situation off of his mind. His self-centeredness, his unwillingness to be used and, and whatever. And the verse of Jesus, when he says, whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. He kept thinking about this and this kid's... He's just branded in his mind. So he comes back and he organizes a cause, a drive. And he called it, give the shirt off your back. So that's what he did. He just, he just set it up. He's just a college student. He just sets up these boxes, goes to 7-Eleven stores and organizes it, that you're going to be able to take your shirt off your back and give it to a kid in Africa. And so he raised 10,000 T-shirts. Two tons worth of T-shirts. He was excited, and now he's like, "Okay, now, oh, I got to get him to Africa." So he's just going to, you know, just ship them over there and find some agency over there to distribute the T-shirts. And he found that, yes, to ship them over UPS was going to cost him sixty-five thousand dollars. One little part he kind of didn't get into his business plan, and uh, so he began to think. He began to think. He began to call different agencies. He found the supporters of Sub-Saharan Africa agency out there. And he found that they would be able to ship over through a container that they were already shipping over all of these T-shirts. And he got the shirts over. He doesn't know if the little boy, the 11-year-old boy in the village ever got a T-shirt. But he does know that 10,000 kids got a T-shirt. And I tell you that story to tell you about a person who at one point was not useful for God, even though he was on mission with God. He was on a mission trip. And in the midst of that mission trip, he had an opportunity, but he was not available. He was not useful. He was full of himself and not full of Christ and unwilling to empty himself. See, we come in here every week on mission with God to worship God, but I wonder sometimes if God might not be calling us to something deeper and greater, to give of ourselves. But we're not useful and we're not available. Please, let's not live like that. Let's live like Jesus. He was useful. He was available. Another thing is serving like Jesus means being faithful. Pure and simple, being faithful. This verse, verse 11, was one of the verses that absolutely was a confirmation as that sophomore in high school called into the ministry. Can't read, can't write and is afraid to speak in public calling that God was putting on my life. And it was verse 11 whenever it says this, and it may not be on the screen, but verse 11 says this. It says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. And it just was that confirmation that, Mike, just speak as I give you the words to speak and then shut up. He says, if I quit giving you words, just don't talk anymore. And I'm comfortable with that. 
And so I just wonder today if, if some of us could just, just rise up to the occasion and say, God, I'm not much. I don't have much. I don't have much in my hands. I don't have much in my mouth. I don't have much in my head. I, I, but, but God, I'm going to ask you to fill my heart. I'm just going to be available. I just want to be useful. And then whatever you call me to do, God, as long as you give me the strength and the ability, I am going to serve you. I will be faithful. As faithful to this job and this ministry and this calling as any nine-to-five job I have out there that pays me. John 17, verse 4 says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You want to bring glory to God? Become a minister of God. How do you become a minister of God? Go back to the very first statement I said. Serving God by serving others. Serving God by serving others. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. The one thing required of servants is that they be faithful. I like out of the message where it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says, Throw yourself into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him will be a waste of time or effort. Throw yourself into the Master. Throw yourself into the work. What is He calling you to do? Because every job that we offer, we're going to have a ministry fair next week. Ministry Expo, excuse me. Change of names. All right? I've got to change my vocabulary. Ministry Expo. This will be different. Here's one of the things I want you to take away. We have scaled everything back. Not, not that these others that we did not include are not essentials. We said these are absolutely must ministries in our church and beyond. That absolutely we need ministers for. Otherwise, we as a church stop serving. We just become consumers. And I'm going to ask you now this week, and I'm going to ask you to prepare your heart this week, and to ask God three questions. Don't ask yourself because you'll answer the way you want to be answered. Ask God three questions. Am I useful? Am I useful? Am I faithful? God, am I faithful to be used of you? Am I faithful to be... what? Am I available? Am I faithful? Am I useful? Am I available? And I want to ask that you will pour yourself out today. To prepare your heart today. To start praying that prayer today. Am I useful? Am I faithful? Am I available for you, God, to use as you will? You know, there's a lot of things we can invest our life in. I want to close with this. A lot of things we can invest our life in. And if you were had $1,000 to invest in the stock market a few years ago, you might have had money in Nortel. A couple of years after investing that money in Nortel, that $1,000 would have been worth $40. You might have had $1,000 and invested that money in Enron. A couple of years later, you would have had about $11 in your hand. If you'd invested $1,000 in WorldCom, you would have come away with $5 in your hand. It's amazing how things that we invest, we work so hard, tirelessly, endlessly to put our money into, and yet we turn around with returns like that. 
You'd have done better to invest your money in Diet Coke. And I'm not talking about the stock, I'm talking about the cans. And drank the Coke. And then saved the cans and recycled them. Because had you done that, you'd at least had $214 in recycling of the cans. So think about your investments. What am I getting out of my life that is of eternal, eternal reward? I will say this one last thing. Elvis Presley, in all of his success, sold more albums at the end, since, his, since his death than he did while he was alive. But about all those albums, only one of them earned him a Grammy. $250 million were sold. The album was He Touched Me. It's one of his religious albums before he sang and became the king of rock and roll. And it said there was one song on this album that has these words, and I want to read them to you. After the lightning and the thunder, after the last bell has rung, I want to bow before Jesus and hear him say, Well done, my son. He is my reason for living. He is my king of kings. I long to be His possession. He is my everything. You know, when Jesus comes again and the end of all times comes, as Peter shared with us today, He's going to say to those who served Him, Well, well done. Those who were useful, those who were faithful, those who were available. Again, I want you to pray that prayer this week. And so maybe today your, your response before we ever come to an expo is to empty yourself so that you can be available, so you can be useful, so you can be faithful.